Welcome, my name is Diane Spazero, and I'm the Director of Career Education and Development here at Columbia University School of Professional Studies. I am today's host of Behind the Scenes podcast series, which consists of a number of interviews with professionals discussing provocative career-related topics to set the stage for our students. The topic of today's podcast is The Gig is Up, How to Thrive in the New Economy. I'm here with Peter Weddle, the CEO of TA Tech, the Trade Association for Global Talent Acquisition Solutions Industry. Peter, you stated your career has been shaped by two of the most important waves of change in the workplace. Over the past 50 years, the war of best talent and the changing definition and dynamics of work itself. Can you speak more in detail on how these shaped your career? Sure, I'd be happy to, Diane. But first of all, thanks for having me. I'm really uh, delighted to be here and have a a chance to chat with you about uh, this important topic. Let's take the world of work first. Um, The information age is over. We are now in the age of automation. Now, for people who are college graduates, knowledge workers, for years now we have consoled ourselves in thinking that automation was largely going to affect blue-collar workers, right. uh, that we were going to see it impact production and manufacturing workers and so forth. But increasingly we're realizing that automation, smart, intelligent robots, are going to start working in white-collar jobs as well. I mean, for example, when your students get out into the world of work and start their job search process, their first interaction with a company is going to be with a machine. Uh, their first interview with a company is likely to be with a machine. Their assessment is likely to be conducted by a machine. It's not until they get to very close to the final selection that they'll have inter- inter- any interaction at all with a human being. Um, and take take lawyers. Uh, recent Law school graduates are having a tough time finding jobs because all of those entry-level legal jobs where young graduates would go into law firms as associates and conduct legal research for the partners, well, those jobs are gone. They're now conducted, that legal research is now conducted by machines. Even journalists, um, you know, here in, in New York, we have uh, the, uh, the, open, the open tennis match uh, and all of the online reporting about the U.S. Open um, is done by a machine, by, by IBM Watson. So even journalists are finding themselves squeezed out of the job market. And, and that impact, that increase of automation in the world of work has changed the war for talent. Uh, the war for talent used to be a war about a quantity of people. We didn't have enough skilled workers to go around. But that's changed now. Because there is so much technology in the workplace, jobs have gotten much, much more complex. And then you overlay on top of that the uh, global marketplace. The competition is intense there. Employers are no longer satisfied with people who can do a job. They want people who can excel at their job. Um, And unfortunately, we have many, many people, even in today's very strong economy, we have uh, millions of people in the U.S. who can't find a job because they can do it, but they can't do it well enough to be selected by an employer. And that's led to the gig economy. More and more people are having to stitch together an income by working in gig kinds of situations because they can't find a permanent full-time job. Now, Yes, there are a fair number of people in the gig economy who gig because they want to, because it gives them more freedom, because they get to do what they want to do. 
Uh, but there are also, unfortunately, a fair number of people who are good average performers, and in today's economy, that's not good enough. And they are also having to gig as well. So very interesting that you mentioned that, too. You know, I see with my students that um, they're receiving the first interview via email to take it with an avatar. Um, so I think, you know, we've, we're already seeing that happen, uh, you know, in the process of looking for that job. So, Peter, in your new book, Circa 2118, What Humans Will Do When Machines Take Over, which was published just this September in 2018, you provided a real provocative viewpoint on technology and what you called the bite-collar workforce, which you state will make the war of best talent irrelevant and turn the world upside down. Can you expand on that? Well, here's the bad news. Um, employers have declared an end to the war for the best talent, um, and they did so because machines won. Last year, the country passed the Tax Cut and Jobs Act in, 20, uh, in 2017. Um, and they did that because they thought if they gave companies a tax break, they would create more jobs. The problem is that when they passed that bill, there were 6 million people in the job market looking for jobs and 6.8 million open jobs. Today, there are more open jobs than there are job seekers. Employers just can't find the people who can excel at their work. So what is happening is that companies, instead of creating jobs for humans, companies are saying, well, why go to the war for talent? Let's just create a machine to do this work. So more and more companies are investing the money they're getting from this tax cut into the development of machines that will uh, push people out of the workforce. And um, there's no oversight, there's no throttle on this tech development. It's going crazy. In Silicon Valley, in the tech centers of Austin and, and, and uh, Denver, uh, and all around the world. So increasingly, machines are displacing humans in every career field and in every industry. For example, McKinsey says that 40% of all knowledge workers, people coming out of colleges and universities, 40% of those jobs are going to be taken over by these bite-collar workers, these machines, by 2025, wow. okay, just eight years from now, seven years from now. Uh, the MIT Technology Review said that 83% of all jobs that pay $20 an hour or less will be automated. Now, I suspect a lot of people listening to this podcast will think, well, that's obviously not me. But what Goldman Sachs has reported is that in 2014, 51% of all Americans learned, earned $20 or less per hour. Wow. So the, the reality is that right now the economy is strong and it's very hard to see this situation. I analogize it to a riptide. It's underneath the surface. It is horrifically dangerous, but we can't see it right now. But ultimately, when the economy inevitably turns down, as it always does, we have a cyclical economy, um, people are going to find that machines are increasingly smarter than they are, stronger than they are, more empathetic than they are, and they will begin to feel as if maybe humans are no longer the superior creatures on the planet. So that's pretty scary. Yes. But the good news is that we live in a consumer economy. Uh, and as these jobs are filled by machines, 
people are going to find themselves without work. They'll be able to put together a, a living for a while as gig workers, but even that is eventually going to be taken over by machines. And these companies are going to begin to realize that we need to provide some sort of income for the American people who are losing their jobs. It's already been suggested by uh, the likes of Bill Gates and Elon Musk and others. Eventually, the country will have to realize that in an economy that's going gangbusters, thanks to all these machines, we're going to need to provide a universal basic income. Everybody gets a basic income. And it's not a lower class income, it's a middle class income. So they can continue to participate in the, in the consumer economy. And I believe that that's going to give workers the chance for the first time in their lives to do two things as a part of their work. They're going to be able to first find their passion. They're going to be able to discover what they love to do and do best. And the reason that that's important for them is because that's the only way to achieve true fulfillment. It is to be engaged in something that you find meaningful and to accomplish that through work. Um, and secondly, they're going to be able to pursue their own spirituality. You know, religion is, is uh, having a, a rocky road in some parts of, of the United States, but in a Pew Research survey, it found that 80% of all Americans, actually better than 80%, consider themselves to be spiritual, to, to think about some of the big questions that only humans can ask. So those two trends will come together to create a new era that I call the, the neonaissance, like the Renaissance, which was a rebirth, but this will be a new birth, a new birth of opportunity for humans to really do the two things that make them the superior creatures on the planet. They will be able to find their passion. Machines don't have that. They, they, they can't feel passion. And to pursue tranquility through their spirituality, something else that a machine can't do. So, yeah, it's going to be a, a rocky road for the next uh, 100 years, which is why I call my book Circa 2118, 100 years from now. Uh, but also one that has a great upside to it, and that is this this age of ennoblement, this opportunity to re-ennoble ourselves through our work at passion and spirituality. That is amazing. So, Peter, we are already seeing that cognitive computing are performing many of the tasks once considered solely the domain of humans. The corporate workforce is changing radically and rapidly, these changes are no longer simply a distraction. They are now actively disrupting labor markets and the economy. How fast do you believe the wave of change is coming and the rise of the super sea machines, as you refer to them in your book? Well, hang on to your seat. Um, Pew pulled together um, some of the leading academicians, research scientists, futurists in the country uh, and asked them, when do you think machines will become smarter than humans. Um, and the median response was 2040. In other words, everybody listening to this podcast, if you're a baby boomer, your kids and grandkids, if you're a Gen Xer, a millennial, a Gen Z, during your lifetime, machines are going to get smarter than you are, and they, were going to, they are going to take over more and more of the jobs. So where is it all going to lead? Well, in the, next, in the next 100 years, or by circa 2118, we're going to experience near-universal unemployment. 
Hod Lipson, the director of uh, Columbia University's Creative Machines Lab, said it this way. If you're talking about 100 years, there's no doubt in my mind that all jobs will be gone, including creative ones. And 100 years is not that far in the future. Some of our children will be alive in 100 years. So it is going to be a challenge over the next 100 years. However, uh, I, I don't think it's going to be as rocky as one might first imagine. I've already talked about the Neonaissance, but in my book, what I've tried to do is to take um, a, a different approach. Um, for you English majors out there, you've probably heard of magical realism, uh, which is a, a genre that began um, in Latin and South America. Well, I've tried to create something called newsfeed realism. And what I've done is I've taken the kinds of things that we see in our news, re, our news, news feed today and to extrapolate what they might be like over the next 100 years and in a fictional way talk about these very non-fiction-like challenges that we're going to face so that A, they will be more real, but B, perhaps not quite as scary as they might at first seem intellectually. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge, but I think, you know, for those who are prepared, uh, the next 100 years will also be very exciting. Very interesting. So, Peter, what do you recommend for our listeners on how they can prepare and thrive in this new bike-collar worker economy um, and begin to take, you know, as it begins to take over the marketplace? Well, two things. As I say in my book, a prerequisite for making it through the next 100 years and to achieve uh, entry into the Neonaissance is situational awareness. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to know how to program algorithms and know how to create uh, artificial intelligence and uh, machines and, and neural networks and so forth. What it means is that we, we have to make ourselves aware of the impact of technology on our career field, on our industry, on our hometown. So we have to be much more studious, much more proactive, much more directed about making sure that we pay attention to everything that's going on uh, around us with regard to this creeping, actually it's not creeping, this rush of new technology into the world of work. So situational awareness is first. The second is, I believe that now is the time to find that passion I spoke about earlier. Uh, one of the things that I talk about in the book is what I call the great talent robbery. Um, and by that I mean that unfortunately our culture has come to believe that talent is all too often something that special people have. It's the ability to throw a football further or to dance in ballet or to sing professionally. It's, it, it is the kind of thing that uh, we ascribe to, to movie stars and to entertainers and professional athletes. Well, in point of fact, talent is simply the capacity for excellence. Um, and it can be expressed as the ability to take a complex subject and explain it in a way that the average person can understand. It can be the ability to take a group of diverse people and organize them to accomplish a task. It can be the ability to show care and compassion for people who are ill or in need. Those are talents, every bit as much as the ability to throw a football. The, the challenge is that in our educational system today, we don't encourage people to discover their talent. Uh, and once, even if they know what their talent is, we often don't make it easy for them to nurture their talent. 
Um, and the, the neonaissance is a platform for people to express their talent. So I would urge people to begin that exploration. No matter what field of work you're in, no matter what your academic major may be, stop and make sure that you are really pursuing what you love to do and do best. And, and you discover your talent, that capacity for excellence, and then you set about nurturing that. If you've got that in place, then no matter what happens with regard to machines, I think you'll be in a very good place when the economy moves towards a much more automated basis. And it's interesting that you say that because uh, in the Career Design Lab, that's really what we believe. So, and, it, and it's interesting because we have students, graduate students that have come in and really never explored this. Um, taking the time to think about what they really enjoy. I love the uh, positive psychology, the idea of flow. What do you do that time just passes? And, you know, being able to really work with that. So we've created a series. It's actually called You Matter, where we do interviewing and get our students to spend that time and really self-assess and discover what it is they really love to do. So I think that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. Unfortunately, we're gonna to have to wrap up, but is there any other last thoughts that you have? Well, uh, just because I'd like people to uh, read my book, um, if they would like to read a free excerpt, there's a website for the book called circa2118.com. That's C-I-R-C-A 2118.com. Um, there's a free excerpt there. You can also uh, purchase the book if you'd like. Uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. As you said, it's just come out. Um, and, and I'm hoping that it will help people prepare themselves for the age of automation, which is already underway in our workplace. Great. So thank you so much, Peter, for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for having me, Diane. It's been great here. Our next podcast is on big data and its disruption of the healthcare industry with Malika Peters, pharmacy analyst at Health First. So I leave you with this message. Every single one of us has a purpose. It's developed from your passion. And when one is on point with their purpose, it can help change the world for the better. What's your motivation? Thank you.